Hello and welcome to episode four of Conversations with the Mind. I'm your host, Shane LeMaster. Um, today we have a very special guest, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, but uh, first I want to thank all the listeners that have tuned in so far. Um, and thank you for liking and sharing these podcasts on your social media. That's how the word gets out about this podcast. Um, and I wanted to remind the audience that uh, we are sponsored by my private practice counseling um, company. Uh, it's called MindOps, and you can find it at mind-ops.com. That's mindops.com. We specialize in sport and performance psychology. Uh, really, mental performance is our, our go-to, but um, we also have um, clinical qualifications in general psychotherapy as well as um, licensures in addiction counseling. Um, and we also specialize in psychedelic integration therapies as well. So if you have any um, mental health or general mental status needs, uh, feel free to reach out. You can contact us directly through the website. Um, always taking on new clients, and that's always a, a fun endeavor uh, to work one-on-one -on -one with people. So um, for our good news section of our podcast, you know, we like to spread good news amidst all the negativity out there. Um, just kind of doing our part to impart some good news, um, make your day a little bit brighter. Um, today I found a, an interesting article, and the title of the article is 19-year-old uh, French superstar donates every penny of his World, World Cup earnings to charity. <clears throat> and um, I thought this was pretty amazing for a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, because he's only 19 years old. Uh, that's, pretty mature, uh, that's a pretty mature action for a 19-year-old to do. Um, and second, you know, you know, just donating it to, to charity. He actually donated close to half a million dollars to a specific charity that he's been a supporter of since 2017. Um, let me see. The name of the charity is um, the Premier de Cordie Char Charity. I probably pronounced that completely wrong. But anyway, he donated close to half a million dollars uh, to this charity that helps hospitalized children get back into sports. Um, pretty, pretty amazing impact to have on, um, you know, the collective well-being of all humanity. Um, and, you know, I feel like that's a, a good caveat into what we talk about here on Conversations with the Mind, which is really, you know, having this individual consciousness that we're all experiencing and how it, um, how it imparts on the collective consciousness and, you know, giving back and taking from and, um, all of our individual journeys through this space. Um, so with that being said, I want to welcome my guest today. Um, my guest is uh, Shannon Hughes. She is, well, I can let her introduce herself and, and let you tell her, tell uh, the audience what you want them to know about you. But um, she's become a, a pretty primary figure in my life in the, in the recent um, year, year and a half, two years maybe. Um, we met through a mutual friend um, and, uh, you know, hit it off right away, had had some similar interests and, and just a really good, you know, you get this good vibe about people, this good feeling, sort of like uh, frequencies link up for, for a little bit. Um, and since then, um, you know, Shannon and I have been involved with a number of different things. Um, I'll let her tell you guys about, um, you know, some of the nonprofit work she does. Um, but I linked up with them and have, have done a couple things uh, with them. I'm also contributing to some of Shannon's uh, research. 
that she's also doing, um, which is contributing um, this new psychological model of treatment for, for um, well, benefiting all humanity, pretty much. Like if, if, if we can get it to spread, right? Um, so, and, and we're also hoping to, to do some other projects in the future too. And I, I just find her perspective on um, consciousness just fascinating. So I thought I'd have her on and um, welcome Shannon. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, so I'll let you, you kind of unpack um, who you are since that's, that's kind of a big thing, that's a big right? Question. <laughs> you do so many things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like to be uh, multifaceted. It makes life more interesting. But um, yeah, I think primarily the identity I'm moving into is spiritual teacher and coach, though I've been living a you know, academic identity for 12 or 15 years now being um, an academic and researcher and teacher in higher education. Um, and then recently moving into community organizing and nonprofit work, um, program development, um, all around changing our relationship to ourselves or changing the narratives around the, the, like the stories we tell about mm -hmm. our relationship to self and our, our distress, our pain, our overwhelm, our anger, our frustration, hopelessness, all of these things mm -hmm. that um, are so core to our humanity um, have been written off as um, medical problems that need you know treatment sure, and, or cures and, fixes here, and yeah. here just shut this away so that you can mm -hmm. you know get back to work and get back to you know what you need to be doing and so a lot of my work in the past has been around opening up different you know possibilities especially among with young people that feels really powerful to me uh young adults um different possibilities for ways that we can tell stories of our, mm -hmm. our pain and how we can relate to that differently in a way that it has more depth and richness and meaning um, and then also more recently, you know, that's kind of my larger background. And then in more recent years, also getting into more spiritual work. And that's been my own journey, um, and offering that out now in bigger ways, spiritual teacher, coaching, uh, authorship, um, hosting retreats around spirituality. I've been doing mm -hmm. that recently. So yes, yeah, a lot going on. Where would you like to start? Nice. <laughs> uh, so I want to go back to that story piece yeah. first, right? Because I think that's one of the things that really drew me into um, the way you sort of conceptualize um, society and the way people interact with each other and the way we think about each other and our spirituality and in psychology, um, you know, the story we tell ourselves is pretty much 100% of um, what affects the outcome, right? Mm -hmm. So you know, a traumatic event can happen right in front of you and you can choose to tell yourself one story, mm -hmm. which will be productive. Maybe it gets you moving to save someone's life, or you can choose to tell yourself a fear story into freezing and inaction, right? And so these stories go from, you know, I think people, people can relate to not only their everyday experiences, but long-term stories we tell ourselves, you know, things develop from childhood, um, stories that were maybe told to us or conditioned into us um, that we have to, you know, first recognize, but then uncondition mm -hmm. um, and strip mm -hmm. that away mm -hmm. from ourselves so that we have space to create a new story. Um, and it's very yeah. telling on the power of the mind, right? Sure. Conversations with the mind, the power of the mind to tell these stories and then we live into them. 
or they, you know, thoughts become things, right. become our reality, and you move yeah. into these stories that we tell. And yeah, so the power of the mind to create and construct our our reality, and um, I think many of us are living very busy, distracted lives, and mm. just kind of on default mode, mm-hmm. kind of living what we living into what was put on us to live into mm-hmm. from our parents and teachers and the systems that were sort of embedded within yeah, medical systems, and all of it. Systems, yeah. We just systems. don't have that space to like disentangle ourselves from it and create that awareness of what it is that we're buying into. Like what stories are we telling? Sure. And, how, and, and so, yeah, so it's that a space, really creating that space. space. So how do you create the space for yourself? <laughs> for me, I use meditation. Yeah. You know, that's a super useful tool just to create. And it's a space that can be created anywhere, anytime. It doesn't require any money or tools, right? Yeah. How do you do it? So what is this space? I, I yeah. you know, that's a lot of where the spirituality comes in for me. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, I have tools that I use, but I have a sense of, um, what's, I have a sense of relationship with my higher self. Um, that's my guidance. That's, I have a, my, my sense of spirituality is that we're much more, there's much more non-physical than physical Absolutely. and we are much more non-physical than physical. Mm-hmm. And there is, you know, use the word like vibration or frequency. Like there's something, um, that I sort of vibrate around, whether it's an energetic resonance or source energy, or I don't, there's so many infinite ways to understand it <laughs> and none are better or worse than others. It's just, that's what makes life so wondrous and mm-hmm. beautiful is that there are so many infinite ways that we can yeah. come to know ourselves mm-hmm. and come to know what is divine and mm-hmm. all of that. So, um, you know, I check in with my higher self and that's something the, the sort of natural, flows of channels of communication that we have with mm-hmm. our higher self with non-physical with spirit um we all have these ways that sort of inspiration flows to us so i'm very in my head and so i get inspired ideas thoughts words and i i work with that mm-hmm. and so other people might be you might call it a clairvoyant gift where people get images or they see with their mind's eye they have really crystal clear sort of vision for okay no this is where i am and this is where things are going and this is what whatever mm-hmm. means to me other people get strong senses of like inner knowing uh, that's another sort of communication channel where we can like receive guidance um so inner knowing are those impressions that kind of aren't based on anything they sort of come from nowhere but you just know it right you know? Your gut feelings yes yeah. it's just there you know it it's not based on anything that's a knowing um and then you also have your feelers who um just have this full body they're kind of like the people who um if you were to walk into a room they're like the sponge for the mental physical emotional stuff for everyone mm. around them and like they just succubus? feel it all they just like oh. can just like because <laughs> like, I've definitely felt people walk in the room and like everybody's energy just goes negative. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Like, it's right. like, oh my god, that person is totally sucking the energy out of this room. Well, so maybe you're a strong and feeling. I don't know, mm-hmm. but we all have all of these. Like, sure. we all get inspired ideas. We all have visions of things. We all get knowings. We all get feelings, like those sort of empathic yeah. feelings. So these are natural lines of communication yeah. with guidance. So um, I read this article, and I'm, I'm horrible at citing things on this podcast but i read an article years ago that um this guy wrote a theory i think he's a um, anthropologist or something studying human culture Mm -hmm. and he thinks that 
thousands of years ago, we as human beings and this body, this vessel that we're inhabiting had over 300 different sensory um, senses, wow. right? 300 senses um, based on all of our different organs, right? And his theory is that over time, these senses have been either conditioned out of us or have been um, forgotten, yeah. right? But he also believes that human beings today still contain a lot of those senses. They're just sort of not practiced, practiced. anymore, right? Yeah. And so some of these abilities like telekinesis or yeah. levitation or, you know, any of these, these cool things, uh, synchronistic activity, right? Uh, gut feelings, um, uh, goosebumps. I'm getting goosebumps right now just talking about it, right? These are all like um, senses, Yes. Uh, within our body, right? Who knows where their their sources, but um, we're that's, at, we're disconnected from those senses. Exactly, we're right? disconnected. I feel like so much of you know the the five main senses that we rely on, right, are the obvious ones, sure. and they've. I feel like we're so shaped by like a capitalist agenda, and like we're connected only in ways that sort of propel this agenda to have a, a you know wage labor workforce mm -hmm. or to keep you know families intact because that makes for a more stable society right. and all of these things it's Gotta so keep the machine going yeah and so all of these other senses i could very well be yeah we had 300 or 500 or whatever mm -hmm. like different ways that we could sort of tune in and get information mm -hmm. between us and the environment and we've really limited ourselves to just like these basic yeah ones and there are so much there are so many more ways that we get information and can tune into guidance and inspiration and whatever you want to call mm -hmm. that whether you have a religious framework or spiritual framework or you know scientific framework. scientific framework just the awe at the the mystery i mean mm -hmm. i've met scientists and physicists who are staunch atheists yeah. but they still have a sense of like mystery or in, infinitude yeah. out in the cosmos yeah. they're like oh my and we have we know very little of anything. That right? humility, exactly. So totally. when you when you hold that perspective, whatever language you want to put to it, um, there's so much more that we can tune into if we pay attention and we find whatever that point of connection is. So for me, it's my clairaudience. I call it clairaudience is one of the communication mm -hmm. gifts, and it's sort of like and that's where you like. You that's hear my so hearing. Yeah, it's right? hearing, right? Mm -hmm. It's through it, through hearing. Is it uh, like actually audible? Hearing? Um, no, for in my experience of it, it's not audible hearing, but everyone experiences it differently. Mm -hmm. I actually use a pendulum to. Um, I actually I brought my one of my pendulums here. I, I have one upstairs. But yeah, I, I kind of. There's lots of different ways to use it, but that's how I. It's a tool for me to plug into. So, so in my belief system, I have guides like spirit guides and that's my higher self there's no separation it's like i have this limited perspective and my limited senses in this human body but i'm much more non-physical and my non-physical self is um very high vi vibration and has holds broader perspective um, and they're not separate right there's no separation okay. so i came here sort of my higher self sort of like streaming itself through this body channeling Yes. Yeah, almost like, yeah, channeling. So that I can organism. come to know myself through yeah. this way. And so yeah. there's a oneness. There's a sense of I am this higher self and I've come through this life to have to to come to know myself through the experience of, of, of my life. Right. And yeah, one of the Buddhist philosophies is all about, you know, experiencing life. That's yes. what it's all about. Right? And that's it. There's no they they keep reminding me whenever I check in, and I'll share in yeah, a minute yeah. how I use the pendulum to check in with my higher self. 
Um, but yeah, they always tell me outcomes don't matter. They've been telling me this for years. Right. Like, keep re- reminding me <laughs> over and over. In the academic world, though, right? Because <laughs> outcomes definitely matter yes. in the academic world. <laughs> so there's all this, like, sort of contention. I'm very conflicted because sure. I live in all of these multiple worlds that have competing demands. Yeah. And so, but I, I listen most to my higher self and to my guidance mm-hmm. and try to let that drive me. And they keep telling me outcomes don't matter. Outcomes don't matter. It's the, it's the process. It's the now. It's the... Um, you being here and doing this thing that allows you to experience your, yourself or your power or your creativity in whatever way it's being experienced right now. Right. It's That's what we're here That's for. It's, it's yeah. not to get somewhere or to for something to happen at some later point. Like That's so besides the point <laughs> is yeah. what they always remind me about. Um, but I check in. Um, so for the audience, um, she's holding like this this – it's maybe like an eight inch long chain with, uh, is that a crystal? I think it's a blue appetite. Yeah. Stone. Nice. So it's a stone wrapped in a type of metal, copper or something. Um, some, some people believe that those metals have, um, magnetic properties and things like that. I know, I know, uh, crystals for sure are amazing. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people don't believe in power of crystals, but when I looked at like, uh, the atomic structure of crystals, if anybody is, skeptical at all just go look at that like the atomic structure of a crystal is unlike any other where the atoms are perfectly lined up in um just it's perfection you know compared to every other thing you could study under a a microscope is all jumbled in chaos but crystals are completely focused i didn't know that yeah so she's holding this this uh, stone at the end of an eight inch chain this is the pendulum she's speaking of and then she's going to tell you guys how, how she uses this so for me i connect you know with with my higher self i just call my guides in and i don't even have to do it anymore I've, I've practiced this with this tool for so long that i can just pick it up and it'll start going mm-hmm. but when i first started it was a process of just establishing calling in your guides and trying to make that connection and and establish a yes so just asking the pendulum to show me yes what it what, and it'll swing a certain way for me it swings right like clockwise in a circle like that and then when I ask it show me no you see it goes just back and forth and it moves and so now it's like show me yes and so my guides move it back and forth and so that's basically the only way that it swings is yes and it swings no and there are some like muddled things in between that is you know sort of nuanced sure. <laughs> communication that we've that we've developed so basically. In my clairaudient gift, I feel like the best way to describe it is like thoughts are things. If thoughts are things, if thoughts exist. Yeah, and they have been shown to have um, physical presence in our conscious space. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then if my guides are flowing their guidance to me through thought, through mm-hmm. this inspired thought that I receive, mm-hmm. um, then what the experience is is kind of like plucking the strand of thought that exists, that they're flowing my way um, from the ether mm-hmm. <laughs> and then sort of like streaming it. Mm-hmm. And so the pendulum swings, yes, as I sort of, as I sort of um, attach to the thread of thought that they're sending my way, the pendulum swings, yes, like, yeah, that's it. You got it. Um, so it sort of guides you uh-huh. uh, through the thought uh-huh. because they, I mean, there's, infinite thoughts um infinite patterns you could do and it's so much a part of it was a couple of years of doing this pretty intensely like hours a day of practicing so that i could sink in and or sink up and and sort of tune into 
their thought, the mm-hmm. thought of my higher self, because there was a lot of noise in my mind. I've always had a lot of mental dialogue, inner mm-hmm. chatter. Sure. And at earlier points in my life, it was very um, noisy and confusing and hard to decipher what was just stuff I'm making up and getting all twisted up over and what was real that I could was, hang on yeah. to and what was valuable and what was yeah. trash. And... and then I had relationships that were very confusing and lots of sort of stories around relationship. And so there's a lot going on when I was in my twenties that I had to sort through and, um, what this understanding sort of a, a sense of higher self and my clear audience gift is that it's like the thing that you struggle the most with is also your, biggest gift oh or candy goodness. yeah we i've been saying this this quote on my podcast over the past i think three episodes that what stands in the way becomes the way yeah you yeah know, whatever your biggest challenge is stop avoiding it like there's power there there's... that that's the way out like, yeah that's the emergency exit yeah Just that's go the opening it, that's damn the... it. <laughs> Exactly. So there was years of like really um, just being at a low point with like my mind Mm -hmm. and with all the activity and not knowing what to trust and just feeling like, okay, something's got to give because I can't handle what's going on in here anymore. (laughs) It's too much. Um, And it was a long journey. I mean, I didn't just immediately pick up a pendulum and find my higher self. There was a lot happened in between. And in the process, did anybody reach out and try and like fix you. I'm using air quotes, right? Like <laughs> you're not fitting into the models anymore because you're, you know, you know, I was always a pretty critical thinker mm-hmm. and very independent minded. And, um, so I didn't run into that. Thank goodness. I did yeah. find, um, I mean, I, I did see in my twenties, I went to a couple of therapists once or twice who mm-hmm. I was like, these people aren't going to be able to help me mm-hmm. because I felt way more emotionally intelligent than where they were at. Um, But I did find um, a coach. uh, It was in the realm of life coach, actually, Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, some people find, I don't know. Some people are enamored with, like, credentials and the training and stuff. But this was just a person that I felt I could really connect with. And that was the start. That's what it's all about. Yeah. In our research in psychology, you know, um, it's been shown that 40% of the final outcome in a therapeutic relationship has to do with the goodness of faith. So yeah. Yeah. That's primary. And no, know. it's so primary. And, you it's know, a, I, I teach in social yeah. work. I teach social work students. And I just, that's the number one thing. If they get nothing else out of it, it's like just be a human being and the power of relationship and, mm-hmm. and connecting. But you've got to do that within yourself before you're able to do yeah. that with others. Wow. Um, it's like a huge roadblock that I see across our Western culture. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to connect to myself and therefore I can't connect to you anyway. Right. So I'm not at all enamored with credentials and training and sure. letters after names, even though I, I have a few mm-hmm. myself. But they come with it they come with the journey you know. sometimes. Like I, I'm not striving for anything either, but just pursue your passion, they'll come. I you know, yeah, that was really big. I yeah, I worked with this person only for four months, but she gave me a few books to read, she gave me some tools, she gave me some language and perspective to start. Hmm filtering out and deciphering for myself what was what and it was just what I needed that just those four months with her once a week was just what I needed to kind of continue on and it wasn't mm-hmm. all uphill from there I had even lower points after mm-hmm. that in my early 30s um you know my husband um at that time was um was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer and mm-hmm. 
had about a year and a half of illness before he died. And was he in his thirties as well? Yeah, he was thirty-seven when wow. he was diagnosed. Uh, I must have been age. about thirty-one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And um, so there was like some low points through all of that, but I had more tools by that time yeah, to kind exactly. of equip myself. And then that's about when it was actually at the lowest emotional point where I was just about broken, where I was like, I can't, I don't even know what to do anymore. <laughs> right. It's, you reach that point uh, that you're so broken that you have to accept. There's no other escape out. You just have to accept, like, this is where I'm at right now. And then all of a sudden. That's where big openings can come in exactly, because you're yeah. just, like, soft enough mm-hmm. to surrender to it or mm-hmm. something or be just allow – whatever opening is there to come through, you've just given up enough of your resistance to go there. Mm -hmm. That's what it feels like. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's kind of where I was in my early thirties. And that's about the time when somebody put a pendulum in my hand, introduced Mm. this idea of the spiritual communication gifts or these different channels and way we receive guidance. And I really started playing with that. Um, and pretty diligently for a couple of years until I'm, uh, it's become like the biggest part of my life and the most important relationship in mm-hmm. my life. It's me and my higher self. And that's where I get clarity and direction and focus and encouragement is just me and my higher self. I don't have to look outside of myself. I don't read books for that purpose anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I used to read all yeah. the self help books the and, to get us kickstarted. Right? Yeah, I've read all can, those yeah. books and I've listened. You know, Abraham or Esther Hicks was a really huge influence in my life. I listened to so many videos of Esther Hicks um, in the personal spiritual development world, and I did years of that stuff. And now I find myself. I don't need to look outside of myself for answers anymore. It's all here and I have access to everything that my guides, my source, I'm plugged in enough and I'm synced up enough that I can get it and I hear it and I'm listening. So for me, the the phrase conversations with the mind um, means that we have this ability to tap into like this collective knowledge base Right, this collective mm-hmm. knowledge library of all human beings, all plant species, everything. Um, it and that's one of our senses, one of those three hundred senses, right? It's tap in, download whatever I'm looking for, right? Like the Matrix, right? I think that would be f- so freaking sweet. But yes. but in my mind, like it makes sense that that's how it would work. If, but if you, you should could be able to do that. that, right? You could be, yeah. That's like the Akashic Records sort right. of a thing. I yeah, think. exactly, yeah. Akashic Records. Yeah. So. Tapping in conversations with the mind to me means being able to tap in and converse with that higher self, higher consciousness, that oneness that we're all a part of, and then bring back useful tools to help people around us, right? And then give back into the collective consciousness of this space too, right? Um, Because not everyone can tap into it. So I I was hoping that I could ask you, you know, for for some of our audience members who maybe um, don't have the depth of experience that you or I might have with um, spiritual experience, you know, if they if someone's just looking to tap in, right? How, how does someone get started with tapping in? Um, what would your suggestion be? Um, what's been most powerful as an entry point? Mm-hmm. There's maybe two entry points. Uh, one is nature. Yep. Absolutely. No matter how far off my center I am, 
if I get out into nature, like really out, like to the, where you don't hear cars, where there's not people around. Um, My favorite is where you get to a spot where there's no light pollution. Yeah. And then you just look up. Yes. And you see the Milky Way and it's, it's like the most amazing. We live in the most amazing fireworks display. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. It's no, cool. it's true. And yeah. I didn't grow up with nature. I didn't grow up being into that mm-hmm. at all and it's really only as an adult that I found the um perspective in in nature I mean that's where I gained the most perspective and received the most inspiration is getting out in nature and that's something you can do at any time mm-hmm. for anyone and you might not get the inspiration right away if you're if you are feeling very disconnected and kind of low mm-hmm. you know I've been at those points in my life but um it's an it's probably the quickest, fastest entry point mm-hmm. to present the opportunity for connection. And it's easy for us to say, too, because we live here in Colorado and yes. nature's right in our Surrounded. backyard, right? So if anyone's listening out there who maybe lives in a city or something, um, I think a, a basic suggestion would be go get a houseplant, right? Get some form of nature. Um, and connect with it yeah. right meditate with that plant taking Talk care of something plant. is yeah it's like, i mean it's having huge. a plan and taking care of another life yeah. without having like a big well, commitment a like having a baby or something that's a recovery strategy for addicts too yeah you know? yeah um when you first get in out of a recovery um you know recovery home or something and you're living alone having that extra accountability yeah right like this thing depends on me yeah. if anything happens to me and i relapse then that thing's gonna die and I can't deal with that guilt, right? Wow, anything, yeah. anything to get that. But there's yeah. another point of entry yes. too, yes. and um, this this is something that comes from my guides um, that I share at retreats and workshops that we do. They say if you're ever looking to connect and you just you're not sure where to turn, um, you'll find us in um, the feeling of appreciation. Uh, gratitude, enjoyment. Mm-hmm. So if you're just feeling a little lost and looking for a quick way to like, how do I sink back? How do I tune into my mm-hmm. guidance? Look around from the smallest detail to the biggest detail to, for something to appreciate mm-hmm. and just be with it. Just spend a few minutes in appreciation for whatever that is around you. Mm-hmm. It can be really tiny, um, but spend a few minutes in that appreciation and really feel it and feel your guidance or that connection that you're reaching for just kind of pouring itself like it's reaching for you too in that moment mm-hmm. and, and you're seeking feel is for also it. seeking you yeah and so they say that's where our higher self that's where our guides live is in this the feeling of enjoyment like Believe it or not, this whole thing of life, we're supposed to enjoy it. It's yeah. like it's meant for us to enjoy. It's yeah. not meant to be agonizing and suffering, and um, but it's meant to be enjoyed. And um, so that's where they live. That's where our higher self lives is in that vibration of enjoyment, of celebration, of playfulness. The, mm-hmm. the wisdom of the universe is is shown or reflected through playfulness. Mm-hmm. And um, so if we can find that in any given moment, if we don't know where else to look, if we can find a few minutes of that vibration, then we'll feel our guides sort of pouring that their energy in mm-hmm. our way. And that opens up the space for us to receive guidance or the clarity or the inspiration or message that we're like, 
looking for. I think the way you just described it, um, in my life, how it shows up, just what popped in my head is in my jujitsu practice, for sure. Like, um, I'm at a level now where um, I know the movements. It's muscle memory. And when I can tune off my mind and get into a flow state, which is when I feel most connected, flow state uh, and within an interaction um, with someone else. And it's an intellectual interaction because you're playing, you're both playing chess against each other and thinking moves ahead. And, um, when I'm in that state, um, I'm open to new inspiration and I'll find like a move that I've never done before. Like today, um, in open mat, I found two moves I've never done before. And me and my partner both came out of it and, uh, after they tapped out and, you know, he's like, what was that? I'm like, I have no idea. I just threw that together and it worked awesome, you know, and, and I felt connected. Mm-hmm. Um, those, but it was through experience, you know, for me, I, I can feel connected through meditation, but it's more readily available for me through uh, movement, through creativity. And I'm not an artist by any means, but that's how I can express it is me through too. physical movement. Like, meditation is not my thing. I don't, I started, yeah. that was, I it's think hard, many of us right? started with meditation thinking, okay, we got to meditate. Uh, it's not for everybody. Yeah. It is hard. I don't think it works necessarily with everyone's natural sort of gifts and lines of like how you were connecting and receiving mm-hmm. guidance as a clear audience. I have a lot of mental dialogue. And so maybe when early on, when I was starting and I just needed to like shut all of the sound in my mind off mm-hmm. for a minute. Maybe meditation it's played a, a role in that. It was a tool, but mm-hmm. it was also really hard and frustrating. And um, and I, I never meditate. I haven't meditated in years. Mm-hmm. So yeah. just... <laughs> yeah, sure. Meditation is, is does work for me now. But in the beginning, it was it was hard. Yes. But now with my, you know, with my addiction practice, you know, I'm seeing 20 clients a day. And doing meditation in every single session mm-hmm. as a component of it. So oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I think mindfulness are some of those base core skills that are missing. Um, and mindfulness is just another sense, right? It's mm-hmm. a sensory organ, you know, thing that we were talking about before. But we've forgotten to be mindful mm-hmm. because of, like you said, this capitalistic stuff and all the noise and the social media and the technology and. Um, other people's values imparted on us and things, and, and we're just being bombarded by, pay attention to me, pay attention to me, you know, shape your world around what we're telling you. Exactly. And, and we don't, ha- you know, no one creates that space, like we were saying, to disconnect and then... It's the space. We keep coming space. back to creating yeah. space. You have to create the space. You were saying with your jiu-jitsu practice, you get in that flow state, and it just opens up the space enough where mm-hmm. you are just receiving mm-hmm. whatever inspiration or movements yeah. or whatever comes. It feels like I'm fine. When I'm and yeah. yeah. So it's about, it's creating space. So creating space um, within ourselves to receive our own source of guidance, creating space and community with mm-hmm. each other where we can reflect for each other um, and yeah. see. So, so I want you to, talk about that for a little bit because um that's one of the things that shannon and i work on together you know she's conducting some research um and i'd you know you're going to be much better at <laughs> explaining it than, than i am but what drew me into her research is um it's based around a peer support peer support model which i also um, use with my veteran populations um to reduce suicide rates but she's using it with these adolescents who um just kind of 
didn't find the Western medical model to be the best for them, at least with the with the medication portion. So, um, yeah, talk about peer support and how community yeah. um, is one of these one of these uh, ways to tap into that. Yeah, community is so powerful. I've only just discovered community again in the last couple of years. My life's really transformed in a lot of ways in the last couple of years, but finding um, a sense of community that I'd never found before and feeling um, so just uh, inspired and supported through community. See, that's really that's surprising for me to hear. Really? Just that you have only found it in the last couple of years yeah. because your background, you know, you study community, right? <laughs> well, I but you've only just found your own in the last yeah, couple of years. Yeah. Well, I, you know, a lot of my back research is really psychiatric medications and people's experiences mm -hmm. taking psychiatric medications because the knowledge base on what drugs do, antidepressants, antipsychotics, mm -hmm. prescribed stimulants, those types of drugs, the knowledge base is so shaped by the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah. They conduct the research and pay for it and sponsor it and submit the data. And then they promote it and publish it, what they want to publish. And so there's so many problems. And that was entirely shaping the system of mental health care and treatment and the story around. Stories people told themselves, too. Yes. Like, oh, I just need this pill. Oh, I just saw a commercial. So I, I'm qualified to diagnose myself. It, it's yeah. pretty incredible. It's not a conspiracy theory at all. No. I can't overstate the influence mm -hmm. of the industry and professional interests and egos. And there's so many different things involved in this landscape. But. So I was, my research background for a lot of years was collecting firsthand users' lived experiences with psychiatric medications because there was a whole range of experiences on people's lives, some positive, some very harmful. Um, and so collecting those and as like its own knowledge base um, and then like comparing, library, right? yeah, and then comparing users' firsthand experiences with psych drugs to what the pharmaceutical companies were saying, mm -hmm. oh, here's what our, this is what Lexapro, these are the major effects and here's the side effects and this is how safe it is. But then you have, you know, 3,000 people reporting their own experience on Lexapro. Well, what do they have to say? And <laughs> this is the first, this is astonishing me. Like this, it went beyond the, uh, the negative side effects that they listed mm -hmm. within the pamphlets or on the TV yeah, or something. Absolutely. These people's experiences were way more diverse and way more broad and, and way just richer and more yeah. in the context of their lives. Not just a list of, you might feel nausea right. and headache and, you it's know, like, no, but this nausea took me out of work <laughs> for four weeks. And, you know. and then combined with these other things sure. that the drug was also, you know, affecting on your thinking or behavior or your sex drive and right. all of those things combined. It's not just a, a list of discrete effects, but it's a package deal mm -hmm. and you're a real person with a real life. So, um, taking all of that. So that was kind of my, my research. And then, um, I got really fed up with, um, just the, the status quo of things and working kind of within the system. Even mm -hmm. as an academic, I was trying to sort of make incremental changes within the mainstream mental health psychiatric system. Like while you were going through your graduate program? Um, yeah, in postgraduate, just in my research was just about, um, you know, training social workers to mm -hmm. be more sensitive to these issues and ask better questions mm -hmm. or, and I still do a lot of that also, 
But I. Well, really, that's good. That's helping to shape the whole field. Very slowly, mm-hmm. and who knows if it has any impact or not. I get a little cynical when it comes to mm-hmm. steering these massive giant ships that are. Sure, and then you go you to know. a conference, social work conference, and and you're just like, wow, these people are all over the place, and they're all clicky, and they're like, there's that group of behavioralists and that group. I of can't people. even go to social work conferences. Yeah. I only go to the radical conferences now. I go to. Yeah, I go to psych conferences and psychedelic conferences. And yeah. Jiu-jitsu conferences, like, following my passion, right? Yeah, I know. That's what it's come to me um, to be also. And, and so I got tired of that, and I just felt like that's not I, – I, I wanted to do – I wanted to have an impact another way. And so I started getting into um, more and connected with, like, the psychiatric survivor communities mm-hmm. and people who have lived experience who are trying to change mm-hmm. the system or develop so, alternatives. So break that down for the audience, too, like – Define what a psychiatric survivor is. A psychiatric survivor is um, an identity or a label that um, some people who have been um, psychiatrized, who have been in the mental health system, so have gotten a diagnosis, been put on meds, maybe electro electroconvulsive therapy, other you know, mm-hmm. types of, um, so any treatments, form of, any sort of involvement with the Western medical yeah. system. Yeah. Western medical mental health system. Mm-hmm. And then, um, coming out of it with, um, actual, actually feeling harmed. Right. Like, or like worsened. Through, yeah, either, through the experience. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So for whatever reason, they're worse off or traumatized or, um, they just don't buy it. And like they're they saying, you know what, you put bipolar, borderline personality disorder, um, schizoaffective disorder. You put all these labels on me. That is not who I am. And they've made meaning of their experiences, even even extreme experiences um, that might get you a label of schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. Um, they've made meaning of it in different ways and um, lead, you know, enriching lives mm-hmm. outside of the system. But it, their recovery was not recovery from schizoaffective disorder. Their recovery was recovery from the system the system yeah the system triggered or yeah yeah so i got really connected to those wow. communities of um people who were activists outside of the system trying to develop independent alternatives that um yeah not not even trying to transform from within but saying no we're it's like those pockets of resistance mm-hmm. those like very grassroots pockets of resistance doing their standalone independent things that is really exciting to mm-hmm. me and there's a lot of amazing powerhouses <laughs> there especially there's a lot of amazing women doing this work um and at a grassroots level that is mm-hmm. just very inspiring to me so i wanted to do my part in that and support those communities but also blending my academic background and the privilege of having an academic background and being affiliated with a university and being able to support these grassroots sure. activist communities um, and creating pockets of resistance. Right. That, that's definitely one of the benefits of, um, you know, an academic background, you know, PhD um, that I've considered myself for my, for my own dreams and goals. I've wanted to be a doctor since I was like 10 or 12. Yeah. I can remember uh, I didn't know what a what doctor that word means uh, back then, but um, you know, pursuing this this thing for me has been a journey in and of itself. But that you know, the the label, the name that goes along with it has sort of dropped off long ago, um, and now it's like, you know, this is just a step to what what can I do once I have that backing me, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and that's what you're talking yeah. about, right? Like. Like now I have this in my back pocket. Now people will actually listen to me 
right? Mm-hmm. I, if, if you go to the bookstore and this is, you know, people tell me, you should write a book about your addiction story or whatever, write a, write a book. And like, yeah, I have a master's degree and I can write a book and it may sell, you know, may reach like a few people, but you get a, a PhD behind your name and now more people listen to you. It opens doors. It helps you get research grants. It helps you, you know. Yes. Um, so I've been able yeah. to have meetings with people at the upper levels administration in the state offices for yeah. mental health and behavioral health. Right. That's and how I you would change not have things. gotten those meetings exactly. if I had not had a PhD and a university sure. affiliation. Yeah, so. you got it's like uh have you ever seen Scarface? Yes. Right? Like you got in order to get the respect, you gotta get this first and you gotta yeah. get this person, get this person, and then people will listen to you. Yeah. It's all uh, a charade. It but, is a charade. You know. <laughs> That's, yeah. that's so unfortunate. That's how it, how it's set up. But you got to play the game yeah. um, until we can change it. Yeah. Right so, so we got yeah. some money. Uh, and I'll, I'll just yeah, very quickly please. say it was really nice. There is a foundation that supports these alternatives. And they gave us money for this project that you're talking about. Again, creating a space for young adults. Are you allowed to say their name on the air? The foundation, yeah. yeah, the foundation for excellence in mental health care. Okay, uh, they fund all kinds of wonderful alternatives, and um, they um, funded us to do this project. It was really incredible, and um, it's an alternative for young adults who, with their with the distress, with the mood distress, like depression and anxiety that they're experiencing, typically they would just go to a psychiatrist or a doctor, mm-hmm. more likely. And be put on antidepressant, maybe see a therapist, um, and some of them have gone down that route. Um, and this is an alternative. We're just saying, well, let's create a space where we can come together and in the spirit of mutual support and also offer, it's kind of a peer support plus this consciousness raising curriculum mm-hmm. intertwined with it, sort of alternating with it over like a four-month stretch of time where we're meeting every week. And... So we're providing some language and reflections on, well, here's these things over here. We talk about spirituality. We talk about capitalism and oppression. We talk about uh, drugs and medicines and how we alter ourselves using these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also provide just space for us to come together and kind of empty the contents of our mind and what's going on in um, a space that feels kind of like a community or there's mm-hmm. a sense of just um, um like hey i care about what happens to you this week we're just showing up yeah. for ourselves and for each other and it's not therapizing anybody it's not about problem solving it's just about showing up in the spirit of exploration and mm-hmm. like self-exploration mm-hmm. and mutual support and then they're also at the same time getting um naturopathic care so taking um um vitamin supplements, a high quality supplement and fish oil, which there's really good evidence behind that that is a huge boost to mood. Mm-hmm. And um, so we have a collaborator with a, a, a integrative mental health clinic that's helping with that end of things. But we're seeing if this more kind of holistic approach. Mm-hmm. And then um, there's also a physical component too, right? Yeah, the physical component too. They're, they have money that we're giving them uh, to do something. And so we have... Um, a couple people doing uh, the climbing gym, somebody's doing kickboxing and loving it. Other people doing like a group hike to, you know, one of the mountains in Colorado. Um, so yes, there's just a, it's, we're just calling it a stipend funds and they get an allotment. 
uh, during this time and they get to choose to engage in something like a personal challenge or something they wanted to explore for themselves. Yeah. So all of that's happening all at the same time. And we're thinking, well, what if you did all of this and just not psychiatry? Sure. <laughs> what if you did that's everything, everything but psychiatry yeah, sure. and could that help? Yeah. So that's where we're at. And we're excited. Yes. Because we're about halfway through the first cohort. Mm -hmm. um, recruiting for the second cohort right now. Second. Mm -hmm. um, so if listeners maybe have been on um, psychiatric meds before and they didn't like them, I know I have a personal history with antidepressants as a teen, and, um, and then they tried to push things like lithium and stuff on me, and, um, and then I was like, nope. No, thanks. Um, and I, you know, it, it stopped me from taking antidepressants too, which mm -hmm. caused an even deeper depression. Mm -hmm. um, and no one helped. Um, so I can relate to the psychiatric survivors for sure. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of us out there, right? Yeah. Um, so if anyone out there, you know, feels like this is, is also their path that they don't want to follow, you know, the Western medical model and they want to sign up for this second cohort, um, what are some of the limitations and where can they maybe find you maybe on Facebook? Um, yeah, well, there's a study webpage. The, and this is the study itself. This program is for 18 to 26-year-olds. It's all free services, free care, all funded through the grant. And it's in Fort Collins, Colorado, mm -hmm. so you have to be local. But the study webpage, you can get more information and answer screening questions. Okay. It's uh, www.selfdevelopmentcollaborative.com. Okay. All com. one word. All one word, but there's a dash self development. Okay. So self dash development collaborative. dot com. It's a it's a mouthful. Cool. Um, and uh, yes, we are actively recruiting for a late August uh, cohort. Nice, and it's um, sixteen weeks long. Is that correct? That's about sixteen weeks long. Yeah, sixteen weeks long. Yeah. But um, what I've noticed so far, um, being a, a one of the support group facilitators, but I also have been going to the the education component is that the, the the consciousness raising component of it, I feel, is super beneficial for everybody, right? Not just people, not just psychiatric survivors, but um, I've always had this idea to, as, a, as someone with a psychology background and also a Buddhist background and seeing the benefits of um, non-med treatments and meditation and mindfulness and things, I've always had this idea, this grand idea that I wanted to put together a, a program for middle schoolers, for elementary schoolers, for high schoolers, where mindfulness is part of the actual curriculum. Uh, emotional intelligence and um, concepts of consciousness is, is interwoven into the curriculum through, throughout early development. With Practicing no those senses that yeah, we don't exactly. use. Yeah, like, that exactly. would be amazing. Tapping yeah. into mindfulness. I feel like that intervention just by itself may may prevent so much mental health issues in in a you know in the future it can be a great preventative medicine um, and save the, the health system a lot of money too yeah yeah no I feel strongly about that also we mm -hmm. would like to take this program after we're finished with the second cohort and try to extend it to adolescent age group you know 15 to 18 mm -hmm. and see where that could go. Could it be interwoven within, um, like, schools? Like, I remember when I was in middle school and high school, like, we had maybe not support groups, but there were, like, um, students that were chosen. I was one of these mm -hmm. students chosen from, from everybody to be, like, a crisis yeah. liaison, yeah. right? So then if, if peers are fighting on the playground, 
we're supposed to run up and like we're, they taught us these skills to like manage the conflict and like, that's amazing like let's sit down and you say your point and you say your point and blah 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 and i was learning how to be a mediator like back in like fourth grade it was sweet wow yeah. no they didn't have that i was the safety patrol that was my big yeah you so know, right? something similar but... like, <laughs> like stop stop yelling you know yeah no i think you could i It'd think there's great. lots of ways you could integrate yeah. what we're doing and um yeah i i feel like it's going to take on a life of its own whatever it's going to be i've mm -hmm. stopped being attached to my creations and just letting them right the messages from the higher <laughs> self don't get it's just the process of creativity itself. That's what we're here for. So, um, so we'll see where it goes, but it feels important mm -hmm. and it's hard to say we are going to have focus groups at the end to see how everybody experienced the program, but it's hard to say. I, I get a sense that everyone's just kind of soaking in because it's different. Right. It's different from anything else they've been exposed to or what their therapist would, you know, say or teachers or parents and or religious. So leaders. I think they're taking yeah, it's yes. different. totally different. I think they're just taking it in, like, okay, wait, what is what are we doing here? This is different. Or wait, stuff. I'm okay. allowed to finally I'm allowed to think about this? Yeah. Like what is this okay. So there I, I think there's a lot of they're soaking it in and then just kind of playing with it on their own time mm -hmm. and what it means for them or how they might integrate or not pieces of it. Sure. So it's fun. It's exciting. It is, yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. So how do you see, cause I, I, like I said, I work with vets um, and we use a peer support model where we train up these veterans who have become stable. Uh, we train them up to become peer supporters for their fellow vets. Um, and so we have like a suicide hotline that sends us, um, veterans who are actively suicidal and we network them out to these um, these peer mentors or coaches they call up the people and, the, and then we got um, female ment mentors mm -hmm. calling up the families at the same time mm -hmm. and talking people off the ledge right we saved um, 22 people from suicide just last year um, we're in our second year that's um, a great so model we're, yeah we're growing it mm -hmm. so where do you see this peer support model how, how do you see it expanding to the larger society mm -hmm. right because we've got to start you know mm -hmm. people say let's change the world right but we've got to start with what's right in front of us so let's start with our home base right yeah. how do we change this our own relationships that right. is going to happen within so i think that one of the goals of the of this particular program is at the end that they feel that they can hold the same space right it's about creating space so if we can create space and relationships and in our friendships and family and community to be real and authentic mm -hmm. and to talk about these things and to feel okay with ourselves with wherever we're at mentally and emotionally um and and connect with others there's so much to it but if we can create that space amongst ourselves part of this curriculum as we get more towards the end is about being the change agent for yourself and, and your community and mm -hmm. so we're hoping that young people will feel empowered enough that they could hold the same space amongst you know for themselves mm -hmm. and for their friend groups and peer groups and mm -hmm. um, have conversations even if it's just like conversations or that sense of like equanimity within themselves that something comes up and they can hold space internally or with others that's that's what we're hoping for this pilot project mm -hmm. um and there's lots of good peer support stuff going on right now at a grassroots level we are also doing a hearing voices group for a while um that's part of the hearing voices network and they've got peer support groups in a lot of states now they're based out of massachusetts 
but they're all over. They keep training more and more people to be facilitators for these peer support groups. And that's how they're spreading it all over the country. Mm. Um, and so we were holding one of these groups in Fort Collins and there's one in Boulder here. And that's for anybody who has extreme experiences, especially hearing voices, seeing things, um, or other extreme states mm-hmm. that... And it can be for people on meds or not on yeah, meds. Yeah, on meds, not on meds. It's just a, a pure peer support model. Community-based. Community-based, okay. yes. You come in and you explore, and it's about meaning-making, and it's very different from if you went to a psychiatrist sure. and trying to get rid of the voices. This and the peer support model, it's more about exploring it as a meaningful phenomenon in itself. Mm-hmm and bringing language and meaning to it and um, not trying to get rid of it. Maybe you dialogue with the voices. Maybe there's tools. Maybe you can put boundaries around mm-hmm. it. Maybe maybe there's a message here. What are they trying to get through? Or, sure. you know, there's there's so many things. Yeah. So um, all of that's – there's a lot happening. Yeah. Um, so you describe, like, this ripple effect, right? Like, mm-hmm. your hope is that these, these folks in cohort one um, – sort of go out into the community and start to, you know, ripple this, this effect. At least just in their own lives. Yeah, totally. Yeah, even if they're not all, like, many activists like we are, at least holding that space in their own lives, yeah. Right, yeah, and I think that's probably my biggest hope, too, in my work is, is, you know, sometimes it's disheartening for me because um, there's only so many people I can see in a day, right? (laughs) There's only so many people I can... I can try and help uh, along their journey in my clinical office. Um, and so it feels disheartening. Like, um, you know, I've always connected with this, um, this idea of the bodhisattva, yes. right? Someone who stays behind to help usher everyone else through the door of enlightenment. Right. Yes. And, um, so it's, it's frustrating because I want to affect as many people as I can in this short lifetime that I have. And I just can't do it in the type of work that I'm doing, you know, mm-hmm. even with, even with large group therapies, you know, and I'll hold five, six groups a day. Um, it's still maybe 50, 60 people. Mm-hmm. My hope is that they can, I can plant a seed that is going to grow within them, that they can go out and plant seeds in other people and be like, this one guy told me about this thing and I'm going to tell mm-hmm. my friend now and it's going to help him. And so I can take sort of like this, this hope that the work that I'm doing today, even though it feels disheartening, that it's going to have a much larger impact than I even can even imagine. Right. That the people it's going to touch, I'm never even going to come into contact with. Yes. But. I know. I, yeah. that's the, I hold on to the same thing. And, you know, from that life coach 15 years ago or 12 years ago that I first started my work with, I'm still integrating. I'm still growing the seeds that she planted yeah. from 12 years ago and yeah i think that's how it works that's that's what makes it so rich and um just yeah infinite expression expressions Mm -hmm. of um this this unfolding that we're all on and it's it's so beautiful it's so that's the best we got Mm -hmm. yeah so um we're actually at the end of our podcast yeah i just flew yes um (laughs) So, yeah, I want to thank my guest, Shannon Hughes, uh, for being on the podcast today. Thanks. It that was, was a pleasure. Lot of fun. Yeah. I yeah. uh, hope to have you back in the future. I got a lot more we could talk about. Yeah, absolutely. It's <laughs> infinite, right? And yes. that's what makes it so interesting. So, 
Uh, I want to remind our guests to please like and share um, all of our podcasts. Um, that's how we get the word out. Uh, tell your friends. Um, if something resonated with you, you can always leave a comment either through the podcast apps um, or through my website, mindops.com. Um, so we'll see you guys next time. And um, don't forget to ripple out to your own communities and share positivity and and try and put more back into uh, your community than you take out. Okay. This is Shane signing off and thanks again for coming on. Thanks. Bye.